Topics. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Brooke. <gasps> and welcome. I think we synced that perfectly. I know. It's amazing. That was probably the first time that we've done it like perfectly. Spot on. But that's the charm, is that it's not exactly perfect. Exactly. You know? And codependents aren't exactly perfect. Aww. Except me. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not talking about me. Uh, well, Brooke, it's hot. It's really, really hot today. And, you know, I just wanted to say that. I wanted to be very clear with our listeners that I'm sweating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am actively sweating. So. <laughs> you hear drip, drips in the drip background. Drop. Yeah. That's just us that's, sweating to the floor. It's not raining. I'm sweating. <laughs> yeah. We can't have an AC in here because then our listeners won't hear us. So. Mm-hmm. We're heating it up for y'all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Steamy. And speaking of Steamy. We have a steamy topic today. We're talking about how emotionally immature parents are related to codependency. So having an emotionally immature parent, how that relates to your sense of self, sense of the world, how it can create these codependent behaviors. Yes. And it's going to be juicy. And what I think we'll start off with is talking about some traits of an emotionally immature parent so we can get a better understanding of what that even looks like. Yes, I love it. Yeah, so diving right in. Uh, Typically, communication is difficult or impossible. They provoke anger. They communicate by emotional contagion. Ooh, we talked about that earlier because I actually didn't know what that meant. You said you were reading a book about this. Yeah. What is that, oh, the title of that? Yes. So the book is called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, How to Heal from Distant, Rejecting, or Self-Involved Parents. And the author is Lindsay C. Gibson. And you're loving it. And I am loving it. Oh, my gosh. And a lot of this podcast, we're going to be referencing it. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, go get this book. Mm. If, especially if you can relate to having a parent like this, you will definitely want to read this for sure. I really want to read it. I'm going to borrow it when you're done. No. <laughs> so fast. I was like super prepared to reject you. I was I was ready. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, but I mentioned that because yeah, uh, you said you know they the emotionally immature parents communicate by emotional contagion, and I didn't know what that meant. And you said in the book it describes it as that thing that we have experienced. I totally know after you described me, I know what that is of. Like a contagious emotion, a contagious energy that that person's energy, that person's emotions, that person's reaction then gets put on whoever is with them intentionally. That's their goal is to almost like spread it around so that everybody else gets riled up like they are. Before there was COVID, there was emotional (laughs) contagion. Yes, that was the first (laughs) pandemic. That was. And it's spreading like wildfire still. Mm. So we're the scientists. (laughs) We're the scientists of emotional, trying to stop emotional contagion. (laughs) Um, Yes. And along with that, they don't do emotional work. Mm. They are hard to give to. Oh my gosh. I relate to that. Yeah. You know, we talk about this. This one's just funny. It just made me think of my mom, like, because we always, my mom and I, and uh, always joke about how I have to give her something that I know I will like because it always ends up being given back to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, do you need this? Do you want this? <laughs> like, it was a gift. But 
like, hmm, okay. Um, this looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, but that is just such a common thing. She's really hard to buy for. <laughs> yeah, we all have those people in our lives yes. for sure. Might, they might not be an emotionally immature parent, but we all, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to mean that, but it is funny that it's a part of this list. Like, it's just a funny thing yeah. to be included in this list. It's super random. Yeah. <laughs> um, they, what was that? Oh, yeah. They are... They resist repairing relationships. Yeah. They resist repairing. Yeah. <laughs> I completely lost where we're at. Where are we? Um, yeah, they resist repairing relationships. They demand mirroring. And mirroring, you said, again, came from the book, and that is when they're demanding your reaction look like their reaction. Yeah. Like you be a mirror for me so that we have the same reaction to this because I need you to. Show me that I'm right for feeling this way or whatever. Right. They want you to read their face and make sure mm-hmm. that you're emulating the same emotions. You, can, you can't have your own feelings. No. Is what that means. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's terrible. Why would you want that? Um, their self-esteem rides on your compliance. Mm-hmm. They see roles as sacred. Oh, yeah. That's a big one we were talking about for codependency because yes, the roles thing is big for codependency. Oh, for sure. Because yeah. it's almost like we are attuned to what the other person, we we called it, what were we saying earlier? Like, it's like a play. We feel like we, yeah. in each moment we're with someone, are cast in a play as a specific role that that person wants us to be. Yeah. And it's we, exhausting. It's so <laughs> exhausting. And it's, you know, you, you see the person, you're cast in the role by intuitively feeling their emotions and energy and under you know kind of understanding what they want you to be in that moment and then you just fully play the role as best you can I'm the best actor in the world like I deserve an Oscar for all of those moments those roles that I've just moved into yeah and so having it makes sense that having an emotionally immature parent where roles are sacred where they want you to be in your role and never deviate from it for sure would create that awareness and the kid would think that's what they should be doing. Right. And so they grow up trying mm-hmm. to do the same thing, right? With everybody. With everyone, yeah. Because yeah. it's comfortable. That's what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, they seek enmeshment, not emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. which is also a big one. We did, you know, touch upon enmeshment in another episode. It yeah. just sounds exactly, or it is exactly what it sounds like. You yeah. mesh into that person. You, yeah. you become one with their emotions or yeah. feelings or behaviors, all that. Uh, yep. And they'd rather have that than actual true emotional mm-hmm. intimacy, which means they would have to get to know you as a yeah. separate person, and that's just... It's threatening to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they have an inconsistent sense of time. Mm. And at this this one confused me at first until I read the book, and then it talked about how they're confu- confused with time frames of past events between that relationship. So, mm-hmm. like, and they might discount things that... Mm-hmm were big to you, but mm. were nothing. It's like you can remember when that happened, what year or whatever, and yeah. they're just like, mm, I don't remember. Didn't mean anything. Or opposite. Yeah. Um, you know, like I think one time my mom was like, I, you know, I bet you wish you would have done those uh, honors classes in college or whatever, and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even remember that that was an option. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> was that even discussed? Like, yeah. Yeah. Did like, we even talk about that? I don't know. Or, or I think, does it also include, I mean, you tell me because you read the book, but in a difficult sense of time or no sense of time that they attribute your behavior back when you were like 15, 19, whatever, to now, like who you are now. Yeah, okay, That that's exactly, yes, that's one of the points. Infuriating. I know, <laughs> I 
know. I, that happens to me all the time. Mm. Like, I'm still, to a lot of my family members, 19-year-old Brooke, who, yeah. like, lost all of her, like, her keys, her phone, <laughs> didn't know where anything was. Like, my mom will still make jokes, like, you know. Yeah, oh, you're always losing stuff. Yeah, and I was like, no, no, no not really. 10 years ago. Well, and what's frustrating is that usually the thing that they're saying is something that happens every once in a while for every person. So yeah. then when, but it's not consistent. Maybe, maybe it used to be. Right. right. But, or maybe it even didn't and they just like are blowing it up and continue to repeat it and like put the, putting that on you even if it's not true. Yes. And then what's so annoying is that when it does inevitably happen, because I'm a person, so sometimes that might happen, they use that and take that, always take that opportunity as, <laughs> you know, I'm going to really point this out because it's happening right in front of both of us and now it's proof that you are like that. Yes. Even though it's like, no, it just happened once. I'm a person. Exactly. But they're always looking for the proof to yes. back up their own points about you. Yeah. Right? Yep. Their own judgments. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, the book also, after going through all these traits, they break down the four types of emotionally immature parents. And mm. I found this to be interesting because yeah. I think a lot of our parents fall into one of these categories. Yeah. Or multiple, I would say. You know, yeah. at different times in their lives or in different situations they could have different patterns is that true or am I just saying no no the book actually did say that nothing is set in stone when it comes to these archetypes it's just kind of understanding where your parents at for the majority of the time right um so the first one is emotional parents and usually they're run by their feelings uh they swing in between over involvement and abrupt withdrawal in Mm -hmm. your life um they're frightening they have frightening instability and they're typically unpredictable um, they get really overwhelmed by anxiety and mm-hmm. they usually need other people to stabilize them. Mm-hmm. So they'll come to you for that stabilization. And a lot of that is just, you know, feel what I'm feeling right now because that's going to make me feel whole, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, I, I can totally see this. I think mm-hmm. a lot of us have that parent that swings between, you know, calling you constantly <laughs> to then just disappear off the face of the earth. <laughs> like my mom does this. My mom right. for sure. And I know she, You're she like, was you alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like sometimes she'll literally just go to yeah. two weeks without talking. And I know she's right. busy and stuff like that, but it's just like, and then the next week she'll be calling every day. Every day. Right, right, right. She called me at 10 AM the other day on Tuesday and she's like, what you doing? I'm I know. Like, <laughs> I'm literally working. <laughs> Have you seen that, that meme or tweet or I don't know the words to use for <laughs> the internet but it just said my mom what are you doing what are you doing tomorrow what were you doing yesterday <laughs> my answer I'm working I'm, work- I'm always working <laughs> yes you know I'm working <laughs> I've told my mom it's the same schedule I the know, same yeah. sch- eight to five it's exactly what you and might add for- that is almost everyone's schedule <laughs> <laughs> That's not even something she has to memorize. That just is the work schedule is for most of North America. Yeah. And she still can't get it. She's like, is it seven to six? I don't... Are you yeah. at work right now? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what's funny too? It was like, I had called her the day prior and I was like, I'm so stressed out at work right now. I have so much going on. <laughs> And she called me at 10 and she's like, oh, I'm on my way to my job right now. I was like, oh, well, I'm not. I'm working. I'm currently actively working. <laughs> Love you, mom. But... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. Um, okay. And then the next one is driven parents. They're compulsively goal-oriented and super busy. They can't stop trying to perfect everything around them, including people. And although rarely, they rarely don't pause enough to have empathy for their children in the process. 
and they are controlling and they usually interfere in their child's life and this can go all the way through until their kid is an adult still trying to control still mm-hmm. trying to um interfere mm-hmm. wait what did you equate this one to pageant moms oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so good that's exactly it like your health is less important than my goal for you yeah 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 and it's funny because those are the perfect parents to like use as an example Mm -hmm. for this because they are really extreme very extreme example of this driven parent yeah and where i was like talking like if you watch those tlc episodes of that one show that was like super popular about pageant moms yeah the the lengths that they go to to ensure that their child is gonna be (laughs) number one it's insane i mean i'm laughing but it's sad (laughs) i don't know i'm just getting the giggles about it (laughs) please don't sue me (sighs) i think we need to have a marathon soon where we just watch the tlc show you know what we should do is start another another podcast (laughs) about pageant moms watch podcasts on pageant moms and then also another show where we like dissect immature parents yeah like what the specific things we're noticing and like define which parent is which and you know that'd be parents everywhere are gonna love us oh my gosh i know so so great um okay the next one is passive parents um, they have a laissez-faire mindset and avoid dealing with anything upsetting. Um, they readily take the back seat to their mate most times, so the mate is usually in control of all the, you know, everything, even in conflicts, it's like they are taking a back seat to that. Um, they also are um, prone to allow abuse and neglect to occur by looking the other way. Um, that obviously doesn't apply to every passive parent, but can be something if the if there's yeah. abuse in the home. Yeah, you know? yeah. And they typically minimal, minimize problems. Mm-hmm. So to them, everything's cool. Yeah, what? Great. What? And I would say that probably applies to like if you're bringing up a problem in the home or bringing up a problem with them, like about their behavior, they'll minimize it. But then also probably if you come to them for help with something you're going through, a problem you yeah. have, they probably minimize your problems as well. Right. Everything's right? just minimized. minimized. What are you talking about? What are you about? talking about? I mean, Dad, the house is on fire. That's yeah. <laughs> eh, hot, but. <laughs> What do they put the AC on? Put the AC on. Your reaction? That's okay. Uh, and then the next one is rejecting parents. So rejecting parents engage engage in a range of behaviors that make you wonder why they have a family in the first place. <laughs> That's a really good way of phrasing that. I know that first sentence got me. That was pretty pretty funny. Um, whether their, whether their behavior is mild or severe, they usually don't enjoy emotional intimacy at all and don't want to be bothered by children. Mm -hmm. Their tolerance for other people's needs is practically nil and their interactions consist of issuing demands, blowing up or isolating from the family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yes, I had four parents growing up. Mm -hmm. I had my dad, my stepmom, mom, mom, my stepdad. So a lot of dynamics going on and a lot all four of them, I would say, fit under a lot of these categories. But yeah. I would say um, my stepmom was the rejecting parent. Mm-hmm. And we no longer, I no longer have a relationship with her. Yeah. My dad split up with her years ago and yeah. she doesn't even have a relationship in her own kids' lives. Yeah, um, and she's completely isolated herself mm. from the family. Wow. And a lot of it, she's just, she's, she was very. Walking on, we had all had to walk on eggshells around mm-hmm. here. We never knew what was going to get her to blow up. And it yeah. could be as simple as someone just 
leaving a dish on the table and not putting it in the sink mm-hmm. or not washing it. It could be something. Explosive that. response. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then when any of the kids would, you know, like, run up and say, like, I love you, she would kind of just like, oh, go, you know, like, go do this, go, mm-hmm. and just, like, divert them somewhere else. Yes. You know? Can't and accept that. I know, it's crazy. There's a lot of weird situations like that. And I remember, like, a specific situation when my sister, my older sister, was in sixth grade. Mm. And she had a pretty bad bike accident where she, like, yeah, fell over the handlebars and, Mm. like, yeah. And it was a whole thing where she really hurt herself pretty bad on the cement. She was, you know, rushed to the hospital. And my stepmom at the time um, made the entire thing about her. She was complaining about how now she was having pain and, like, she made up some sort of thing. <laughs> oh, my God. So now they admitted her to the hospital room next to my sister, and the entire time my dad, my dad mm-hmm. is trying to um, be there for my sister, mm-hmm. but she's demanding that he's over mm-hmm. there and helping her with her... Intentionally taking away a father's love from a child so that she can get attention. Yeah. And yeah. you know what's interesting about that is, like, she's rejecting you guys but she also is like manipulating your dad to get him to reject you yeah yeah i know yeah it's like it's pulling other people into Mm -hmm. their you know their um... scheme their spider web of rejection (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be merch (laughs) spider web of rejection (laughs) yeah get prepared for that merch that's hilarious well and that kind of um actually you mentioned in a in maybe the first episode that you had difficulties with her. Although I think you said you had difficulties with your mom, but you meant step, your stepmom. Yes. Okay, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I definitely meant to say stepmom yeah. and not my mom. My, yeah. mom. my mom and I have been cool um, my whole life. It's really my stepmom that we had a ton of difficulties with growing up. Not yeah. not just me, all of my oh, siblings. Yeah. You know, yeah, all four of us. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because I wanted to clarify that Yeah. and make sure that um, it's not my mom. It was, it was yeah. my stepmom. And, and Sorry, mom. um and uh yeah my mom and I are solid so yeah yeah all right well and you know moving into the next topic I think it's good to think about all of these not we're not just trying to pin problems on other people or talk bad about people like that certainly is not the goal of this podcast or our conversations privately no. or therapy yeah. delving into this at all it's it's understanding how someone's behavior can shape your sense of self and your sense of the world and therefore your behavior and response to people because yeah. that's really what we want to change but the only way to accept that is to understand how we got here for sure you know yeah so then moving forward we want to talk about how parents our parents influence our immature parents influence affects the role of self yeah who right? we are who we are how we develop ourselves in the world right if yeah we, we had an emotionally immature parent growing up it's not like they're going to magically not be that way so mm-hmm. then we had to grow up with that our whole lives and that can affect who mm-hmm. we become and how we see the world right well and because in our formative years we are with our family most of the time and yeah. we think this is how the world is Right. Right? So that's what your brain is learning. And then you go out into the world with other people and you you respond to other people as though they are like your parents. Or that a threat of them responding like your parents did is a possibility. Yeah. Because you don't know anything else. That's all you know. So that's how, that's the lens in which you see the world. 
Right. Yeah. And so you develop coping mechanisms and coping styles. Mm -hmm. And I think there are two the book highlights, right? Yeah, two. Uh, Internalizers and externalizers. Okay. So internalizers, they apologize for needing help. They are easily able to become invisible and easy to neglect. They get on by limited recognition. Um, They don't see abuse for what it is. They're overly independent. Um, typically don't know their own needs. Uh, ment- some uh, other positive traits, mentally active and love to lear- learn things. Um, they're sensitive and try and understand cause and effect. They take charge and solve problems on their own. Um, their main source of anxiety is feeling guilty when they displease others. So that's big. Mm-hmm. Uh, fear of being exposed as imposters. And they're overly self-sacrificing and resentful for how much they do for others. I mean, a lot of those sound like codependency for sure. characteristics. Right. Right. Which is why after I read this book, I was like, oh, we for sure need to have an episode about this. Because yeah. it's the internalizers, in my opinion, I would say a lot of codependents can relate to the most. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that all codependents have to be internalizers. Yeah. But a lot of these traits, I mean, it's all of what we've discussed about mm-hmm. codependency, right? Yeah. Not being able to ask for help. Yeah. And I think a a big one, too, is the don't see abuse for what it is. Yeah. That one's kind of sad. Like, a lot of the times, I I don't really take it as, you know, like, physical, mental, or emotional abuse, which a lot of people experience. What I'm, what I, how I see that, though, is through my lens, is, like, I might not understand when I'm being, um mistreated in a relationship like I might not be the first to recognize that yeah and that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be abusive so Mm -hmm. to speak but I might not recognize that oh that's weird this relationship I'm completely just getting taken advantage of type thing yeah yeah not being able to put boundaries down and say I deserve better yeah that's a, a huge part of what codependency is and how it affects I think our relationship with people and our relationship with ourselves because it's self-worth. I don't deserve better. And then you can't even see mistreatment for what it is. And then you also feel guilty for asking for something. So then you don't want to ask for that to change. Yeah. You know, there's just, just so much in that that reflect and are consistent with the, these internalizer lists of characteristics. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Megan, but I am completely an internalizer. Me too. Like this whole list just yes slaps. yes 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 <laughs> I know it all makes sense and the apologizing for needing help I mean that is codependent number like 101 mm-hmm. right there of always just not need like feeling embarrassed for even needing help essentially mm-hmm. I mean a lot of these I like, can doesn't know to. their own needs oh yeah I mean that's huge like huge. just not thinking about what you need um I know it's so that's fascinating well what about externalizers what are the Yes, for those guys. Externalizers usually take action before they think. They are reactive and they do things impulsively to blow off anxiety. Uh, They're usually not self-reflective. They assign blame to other people and circumstances rather than themselves. Um, They experience life as a process of trial and error, but rarely use mistakes to learn how to do better. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, They believe the world needs to change, not them. They believe good things come to people rather unfairly. 
low self-confidence or an inflated superiority, so it could be one of one or the other, mm-hmm. depends on external soothing like alcohol, substance abuse, etc. Main source of anxiety is being cut off from external sources they depend on. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to see how... Um, so this is like how it affects the role of self when you become an adult, right? And you're usually prone to become an externalizer or prone to become an internalizer mm-hmm. if you were to have an emotionally immature parent, right? Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how different, like, those two points about their main source of anxiety. Like, internalizers are always worried about displeasing others, right? Yep. And, I mean, codependent, that's for sure in the codependent Bible right there. Yeah. And then externalizers have a totally different worry about life. They're they're worried about getting cut off from those sources that they need to, like, survive some of this emotional rocky terrain. Yeah. So it's just it's fascinating to see how these two groups really react to that, to having a parent like that and to mm-hmm. how they, like, see the world. Right? Yeah. These are, like, the defense mechanisms yeah. against having that as your your worldview shaper, you know? Right. Hmm. So I'd assume that people who don't have an emotionally immature parent would be more stable and wouldn't necessarily go so in or so out. Because I feel like if you read the list of externalizers versus internalizers, they're very extreme, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I'm extremely going to put shame Mm -hmm. into myself. Yeah. Or I'm extremely going to look for things Mm -hmm. to distract myself from what's... Yes. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. So... So you'll fall probably somewhere in the middle where wisdom usually lies if you <laughs> haven't experienced an emotionally immature parent or you've done the work to heal from that. Right, right. But, yeah. Yeah. And then um, what we wanted to talk about towards the end is how to avoid getting hooked by an emotionally immature parent, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's funny how as soon as I hear the word hooked, I just think of the SpongeBob episode. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, like... Like there's so many references that Hook could be, but for uh-huh. some, but like for me, I just think of the SpongeBob episode where, and everyone knows it. It's like one of the OG episodes, like right. season one, where uh, SpongeBob and Patrick are worried about the Hook, which is like an actual um, someone's fishing. Someone's fishing, and yeah, and then they're like they played as a game. They get hooked on. Yeah, that's so funny. You just have to watch the episode. You got it. You <laughs> listen. Just go and explore SpongeBob. That's all we're saying. um but yeah so let's look at how we can avoid getting into the coping strategies or how we get out of them if we already are in one of those yeah like me um (laughs) so one of the first ones is become observational i really love that one Mm -hmm. get into an observational detached frame of mind Take a few deep breaths, stay detached emotionally, and observe how others behave. Yeah. That's big. So you're not in the play with them. Right. Right? You're a way, you're an audience member. You're not, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You're, you're now not in the play, you're observing, and you're watching your parent be the the way they are as Mm -hmm. a third party observer, but you're not getting sucked into it. It doesn't affect you. Yep. The next one is to express and let go. So express what you want to say in a calm, non-judgmental tone and don't control the outcome. So Mm -hmm. if there is a situation where they're trying to pull you in or you 
there is a situation where you actually feel the need to express yourself because you just need to, Mm -hmm. then do so in a very calm, rational tone. Mm -hmm. Try not to let emotional or emotions get to you. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) we've talked about this so many times because something about confrontation just makes me super emotional. I get, I get welled up. I I really want to cry. Yeah. And so that comes off when I'm trying to talk to the person. I just go, I just, I made it. Yeah. And then it undermines your point to the other person. Yeah. Because they're trying to trap you and control you. So then that's obviously a point of weakness, you know, (laughs) and they're going to use it for that, whether they know they're doing that or not. Yeah. I remember like, having my uh, someone I think it was like my mom who was kind of telling me I would tell me like or I would tell her what Charlie or my my stepmom was saying um and she would kind of be like you have to be you know tough and stand up for yourself but it was it was hard easier said than done I can't do it yeah yeah for sure yeah um oh yeah go ahead well I was gonna say too about that like express and let go like when you're saying the the thing you want to say the way that I've tried to practice this is just, um, you know, as you're detached and you're the audience member, you, you almost want to say the thing as though you, like, the response and the reaction of the other person will have no bearing on you or your life. Like, you almost have to believe that in your soul. Like, <laughs> you have created your own life, your own friends, your own world and you really want to think about that the people who do understand you the things that do bring you joy when you're saying this thing because their reaction their response the way that this goes the way your relationship is from now on is not the thing that defines you that's not the only thing that you have so if you think about that I think it's easier to say it in a more clear way because you're not wrapped up in the reaction or the possible reaction as much for sure you're detached from it yep um, yes. And then focusing on the outcome, not the relationship. So ask yourself, ask yourself what you're really trying to get out of this interaction. If your goal involves a change of heart, that's most likely not going to happen. However, you can set a goal for the interaction and how you want it to go. Yeah. And the goal ne- can never be that they're going to change. I mean, that's just therapy 101. You're not, yeah. you're not doing something to change someone else. No, you can't. There's no way you can change someone. So all you can do is control the interaction, or do what you can mm-hmm. to regulate yourself in those interactions. Yep. Uh, the next one is managing and not engaging. So instead of emotional emotionally engaging with them, set a goal of managing the interaction, including a duration and topics. Mm-hmm. So I know that's a lot of preparation, and people are like, really? I don't want to have to do that every time I, you know interact with this person but you in order to make sure that you're not in such a reactive state to Mm -hmm. where the entire evening is going to be ruined it's enough for you to do the work like you're going to want to do the work so that it is overall satisfying whatever you're going to do that day that you're planned with them right like yeah I don't know I think it's worth doing the preparation for if you know that the interaction and experience of that person is going to be much better for it yeah well because you say oh I don't want to do the prep work it's like well but you don't want to have the relationship that you have. That also takes a toll on you and is exhausting. It's tit for tat. Like you just, you have to, in order to change anything, you know, you're choosing one bad thing over the other, you know, like if you're not 
making that choice and doing the prep work, you are choosing the current relationship that you have. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you either choose one or the other. And I mm -hmm. think the, there's a clear choice on what's going to make you more happy and what's going to make you less, you know, yeah. more miserable. Yeah. Totally. Because the moral of the story is you can change relationships can change that doesn't mean you can change other people but by changing your behavior dynamics change people respond differently and then you have a really clear idea of if you're able to have a relationship with that person it might look a lot different or maybe it reveals that you're really not because of their toxic behavior but you know you right. are going to be filled with peace and empowerment and move forward in your life rather than being controlled by this thing yeah, I know. And that's what this whole podcast is about, is empowering mm -hmm. us to be ourselves and to overcome some of these difficult trials and tribulations we have with our family and friends. Yeah. So, and also I want to correct myself. I think earlier I had said something about like positive versus negative. There is no, and I'm trying to get away from this like binary hard, way yeah. of thinking, but it's hard. I, I, especially from our background, I'm just mm -hmm, very used mm -hmm. to assigning good and bad to everything. Yeah. Right. And there is no good and bad here. It yeah. is what it is. Your parents are the way that they are, probably because their parents were the way they were. And it doesn't make them bad people. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't make you a bad person for being an internalizer yes. or an externalizer, whatever category you fall under, mm -hmm. or if you don't fall under any of those categories. Yeah. It, there's no way to, there should be no judgment upon no. yourself. It's just recognizing what this is. Yeah. It is what it is, right? It's about curiosity. Yeah. No judgment. Yeah, no judgment. We're just yeah. trying to figure out What's going on, man? What's going on? What's your deal? Yeah. That's my question. And my other question for you is, mm -hmm. do, do you, you like us? us? Bye for now. See you next time.